So is the proper Christian perspective to think about yourself as a primarily good person or a primarily bad person? This is The Awkward Apocalypse, a deconstruction podcast that examines Christian culture against the authority of scripture. I'm Corey Kuhn, and today I want to talk about the idea of original sin and how that affects our Christian culture. This is the catchy theme song. This is the catchy theme song. So back when I was in middle school, I was in youth group. And if you're a boy and you grew up in the church, you probably can relate to this experience. Our small group leader huddled all of us up in a circle. And then in an attempt to just like be real with us, he tells us, okay, guys, we know we're all struggling with it. We've looked at it. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about porn. And like, I knew what porn was. Like, I wasn't stupid. I went, I went to a public school. But in that moment, I remember just being like, I don't struggle with porn. Like, I've never looked at it. I, I like, it's not something I struggle with. And I remember listening to this leader and being like, am I a man? Like, it, maybe I haven't hit puberty yet, or maybe I never will. Like, in seventh grade, I remember all the time, I would, like, look in the mirror at night just to see if I had armpit hair, because that was, like, a big deal for me. Like, now now I'm like, why do I have this? But, like, when I was young, I was like, man, I just, I wanted to hit puberty so badly. Like, I was using deodorant, even though I didn't smell bad. And, like, I just so badly wanted to grow into a man. So, for fragile little seventh grade Corey, hearing that was basically like saying, you're not a man unless you look at porn because clearly all my friends were because the youth leader just like assumed they were. And just so you know, I don't think this was my youth pastor. So if my youth pastor like happens to be listening to this, I don't think it was you, Um, but it was someone who was like helping out, I think. Anyway, so what I did is I went home and I looked at porn and it didn't even feel sinful at the time. It felt like this is just what you have to do to be a man. Like I felt like what I was doing was the next step to manhood because of that conversation that we had. Like there's just so much irony there that that conversation actually led me to do something that the person was trying to get us to stop doing. But it's because of the way it was presented. It was presented in such a way that basically said, hey, we know you're all struggling with this. And so, so what he did in that situation is he took that sin and kind of like put it on all of us. And I don't know if everyone in that group was all struggling with porn. Maybe no one was, but in an attempt to be real, he took a theological concept and kind of misapplied it in a way that really, really hurt me. Like that was the beginning of me looking at porn and it didn't stop there. I wish I could say it did, but it didn't. And that was the beginning was really a misapplication of the doctrine of original sin. So if you're not familiar with it, the doctrine of original sin basically says that Adam sinned and Adam's sin spread to all mankind. So Adam was not born inherently sinful, but when he fell, he became sinful. And he basically made the decision for everyone who would come after him. So because you are a human being, you are born with sin. And because you have this sin, You are guilty before God because of what Adam did, not because of anything you've done yet. Like you will sin because you have this inherent sin inside of you, but that sin was imputed to you from Adam, from the first person to ever sin. And Bible passages teach this, like it's grounded in the Bible, like Romans 5. And so my intention today is not to directly address 
whether or not the Bible teaches that we are inherently sinful. Because, I mean, I think it does. Like, you could, I guess you could make a case that it doesn't. And a lot of people who are deconstructing would say it doesn't. Um, I think it does, at least if you take Paul's letters seriously. But that's really not going to be my focus today because I think that's a less interesting question. Like, a lot of people are already trying to answer that. And you can go find podcasts and books on that. But that's not really going to be my focus today. My focus today instead is going to be how we have applied this doctrine of original sin. I want to take a look at that and then ask the question, is this good and healthy? Like the way that we have applied this doctrine, is it good and healthy or has it led to some unfortunate consequences? So I want to take a moment now and I want to talk about the way that the doctrine of original sin has affected Christianity. So to begin with, I already gave you one example about the person just kind of assuming that everyone struggles with the same sin, bringing us all in a circle and being like, all right, we all know we're struggling with this one particular sin. And I think that that misapplication comes from the idea of original sin meaning something it does not. So in other words, it's almost as if he believed that original sin meant everyone struggles with the same sin. So like if something is a sin, then everyone struggles with it which I don't think is necessarily the case. I can remember back one time when uh, I was in a church service and we were reading a corporate confession. And I don't really have an issue with corporate confessions. Like, I think they're good. I think that the evangelical church needs to practice confessing sins more individually and corporately. Like, I think it's totally fine. But this one particular day, we were doing a corporate confession of sin and the corporate confession was like really specific. And I think that was where my issue came from. We're sitting there reading this confession, and I think it was something about like ignoring the cries of the suffering. We have ignored the poor. We haven't given our hearts. We haven't given our finances to contribute to the needs of the poor. And I was sitting there just like looking around, just thinking like, I don't struggle with this. Like as I was sitting there, I was in the process of selling basically everything I had in preparation to move to Africa so that I could address the cries of the poor and the suffering and the oppressed. And as I'm sitting there reading this confession, I'm like, if I read this, this is not me genuinely coming before God to confess sin. This is me just reading something and reading it so that other people don't judge me for being silent. But in that moment, I chose to be silent because I'm like, I'm not going to lie to God. I'm not going to come to him and confess sins that I'm not struggling with. And I guess like part of the evangelical culture that I'm trying to highlight is as I'm saying this, I can sense that anyone listening to this is like, oh, so so you're perfect, huh? So you don't struggle. You're better than all of us. And I think that's the problem right there. Like the problem is anyone who says, well, I don't struggle with that sin. It's almost like a red flag. Like, whoa, buddy. Sorry. didn't realize I was in the holy presence here, but they don't actually think that they think he just doesn't understand his sin. And so it's like, as I'm saying, yeah, I don't struggle with this sin. It's, it's almost like naive. Like, of course you do. You're a sinner. You do struggle with this. And okay. I'm sure I'm not perfect at this. I'm not saying I'm perfect at answering the cries of the oppressed and the poor, just because I go to Africa. Like, it's not like I'm just throwing that up. Like I'm doing my part. You know, I'm, I'm sure like, even when I'm in Africa, there are people who come to me Um, begging from me or something like that. And my heart's not in it. Like one day I was actually sitting in my room and someone came into my house, which is really odd. And a lot of Africans lived with me at the time. And so they all were like listening to him. They called me. They said, Corey, someone, someone came to you. And so I go outside and it's this old man 
and he gets on his knees and holds my feet and starts begging me for money, telling me he hasn't eaten for two weeks. And I can tell you in that moment, I didn't feel much because I think so many people beg me there. Like so many, like in a given day, one time I kept count and I had like 50 requests for money from children, from college students, from random people in the street. Like it's just constant. And it's almost like you get callous to it where you're like, yes, I know everybody's suffering. I get it. And I, I get that their needs are real. It's just that like, I guess in my humanness and my sinfulness, yes, uh, I become callous to their cries. And so like in that moment, my heart really wasn't going out to this man. I did give him some money and then he walked off. But I I guess like in my mind, the Liberians are so used to it too, that it's just kind of like, yeah, this is life, man. Like, sorry, we're all, we're all grinding out here. We're all struggling. And what really surprised me was I went back in my room and like kept doing whatever I was doing. And all the people who were living with me kind of like one by one passed by my room and thanked me. I could see in their eyes, a deep compassion that they felt for this man that I wasn't feeling. And I remember feeling so convicted in that moment, like, wow, the, the people who I thought were so calloused and hardened are feeling more than I am. They're feeling, they're softer and they're feeling more compassion than I am in this moment. And it made me really glad that I didn't just send him away. Cause I mean, if someone comes to you and says they haven't eaten in two weeks, that's, that's pretty serious. Like that, that would be pretty messed up if you just sent that person away. Like, oh, sorry, don't have money, man. Like, yes, I have money I can give him, but it was almost begrudgingly. Like it, it wasn't like cheerful giving. It, it was almost like just because he asked. And so the reason I tell that story is to share like, yes, there definitely are moments where that confession would apply to me. But I think that like as a blanket statement to the extent that the confession was saying, I was sitting there and I was like, it's not this absolute. Like it it was literally like we have ignored the cries of the poor. We have closed our ears to, and I'm like, no, I haven't. I'm answering their cries, man. The point is that I think there's a balance. That, that's really, I think, what I'm getting at is there is a balance between our sin, but also our goodness. And I think that's that's really the issue there is that when you begin to acknowledge goodness about you, you're treading into dangerous territory theologically and a lot of people's eyebrows will go up. When I was in college, I led freshman Bible studies. And one of my favorite things to do, one of my favorite icebreakers was to ask people to go around the room and share what they were struggling with. Now, this usually wasn't a very difficult exercise. You would expect something like this in Christian circles. So I would say, all right, uh, let's just go around, just share one thing you struggle with. And most people pull out a struggle that isn't super vulnerable. You know, it's going to be kind of like your generic I wish I could just read my Bible more or, you know, I, I just haven't been going to church as much as I should, or I wish I could evangelize more or, uh, school's really becoming an idol for me. And I just need to make more time for the Lord, stuff like that, that, you know, no one's going to like really judge you for it. And it's not super vulnerable, but I mean, you would expect that, especially in a co-ed Bible study where people don't really know each other very well. So nothing against those kids. Um, I probably would have done the same thing. Like, I'm not going to sit there and be like, yeah, I have these dark fantasies that I just want to like get out there or something like that, that is like super vulnerable and is definitely going to change the way people think about you. The point of that exercise was to demonstrate that everybody could at least think of a struggle pretty easily. And most people could share it pretty easily. And it wasn't that much of a challenge. But then once it would get back around the circle, I would have everyone share something they're good at something they believed they're uniquely gifted to do. 
And man, that was a struggle. I watched people like fumble around, giggle, like a lot of, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess this, uh, but like, and they're trying to qualify everything. And it's such an uncomfortable exercise. And that's the point. That's why I did it. I did it so that people could see how hard it is to share what you're good at in Christian culture. I couldn't really answer why that was. I just assumed that it was, you know, just a product of our postmodern culture. It was a product of the culture that doesn't let you really say anything affirmative about yourself because everything kind of has to be subjective. And so I kind of thought that culture was the reason why people were so hesitant to share things that they were good at. Because if you share something that you're good at, like let's pretend that I say I'm good at singing and then I have to go do a performance. And in that performance, I just completely faceplant. I botch it and I sing off key. And then the whole time I'm thinking, oh gosh, I told him that I was a good singer and he's listening to me. And now I'm embarrassed because I have shown that I was wrong. And I mean, that's, that's a humiliating situation. And I think that in order to avoid that, a lot of people don't like to say what they're good at. So there is kind of like a cultural element to it. But the reason I bring that up on this episode is because I think there's something more going on there. I don't think it's just our inability to say good things about ourselves, especially now that the culture has really shifted towards like positivity and like loving yourself and things like that. But I still see this hesitation in Christian circles to say good things about ourselves, at least in more like evangelical spaces. And I think it goes back to this doctrine of original sin. I think we apply it to our gifts as well. And I think we believe that we can't acknowledge anything good about ourselves because if we do, it undermines our sinful nature. So we see it as kind of like an either or. Either you're 100% sinful or you're a good person. And I think we don't really have that space to find a balance between the two. So I think what we do is we err on the side of being sinful. And so in a lot of Christian spaces, what you'll find is that people talk about themselves as a wretch, a worm, a horrible piece of garbage. Like anything I bring to God is filthy rags and it's disgusting to him. And it's only the grace of Jesus. So everything points to Jesus and what Jesus has done. And it's not my works. It's nothing about what I've done. And so this doctrine of original sin coupled with salvation by faith alone and our works do not contribute at all to salvation. I think what we do is we take that and apply it all the way across the Christian life and kind of interpret everything we do through that lens. And I think that leads to a lot of unhealthy tendencies in the Christian world. And I think the intention of doing this is to put all the glory on God. But I think that if we step back and let original sin be what it is, but then also apply to ourselves a healthy balance of understanding the good within us with God as its source, then I think if we're able to acknowledge that confidently and live in light of that, we bring maximum glory to God. Okay, let's pretend for a moment that you have a child. You have a child and she goes off to an Ivy League school. You put in a lot of effort to getting her tutors and preparing her for the SAT and all that super stressful stuff that parents do that I hope I never have to do one day, but probably will. She goes off to some Ivy League school, graduates valedictorian, uh, studies physics, and then goes on to make all kind of like advancements in the world of theoretical physics. Like let's say she finds the grand unified theory or whatever, and now the realm of physics is completely changed forever. And so she's this great physicist, like the next Albert Einstein. As a parent, you could not be more proud of her. 
But then, whenever they interview her, every time they interview her, all she does is talk about how horrible she is, how dumb she is, how she doesn't understand anything, and how she just doesn't get it, and, you know, she's such a horrible person, and just becomes like a self-deprecating mess every time she goes into an interview. And now imagine if that was the culture of the scientific world was to do this to yourself, to every time someone wants to praise you, you just talk about how terrible you are. I think as a parent, you would look at that and say, not only is that incorrect, like that's irrational, but it's also kind of rude. Like it's actually insulting to you who spent so much time and effort nurturing this person to go out and change the world. And then once they do, they don't give any credit to you. Instead, they just talk about how terrible they are and how they didn't do any of it on their own and how they didn't deserve any of it or whatever. And it's like all the focus goes back onto them and how terrible they are and you get ignored. I think this can happen in a lot of Christian circles where we're so hard on ourselves that we don't take time to appreciate ourselves and the gifts that we have in a way that brings glory to God. Because I think that's the intention behind original sin. I think what we're doing is we're tearing ourselves apart so that God gets all the glory. And the purpose of us doing this is because, you know, it's nothing we did. We don't have any inherent goodness in us. The only goodness in us is from God. And so we only feel like we can talk about the badness in us because of passages like Romans 7, going back to Paul again. And I think this is kind of insulting to the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, God indwells within you. Your body is now his temple and he gives you gifts. He nurtures you. He sanctifies you. He makes you more and more into the image of Jesus. And to sit there and just talk about how horrible you are and fail to acknowledge the gifts that you've been given and the goodness that is within you, I think is insulting to the Holy Spirit. And I think that we can sit here and talk about how great we are as long as God gets the credit for how great we are. I think that's good and healthy, not just from a cultural perspective, but from a biblical perspective as well. I don't think us tearing ourselves down all the time is good or healthy. And Paul does this too. Like he tells people to imitate him as he imitates God. He can hold himself up as an example of who not to be, like a sinful, horrible person who kills Christians, or he can hold himself up as someone who's imitating Christ, therefore imitate me. Like he finds a balance there. And I think that's what we should do too as Christians. I think that we should find a balance because I don't think that us wallowing in self-deprecation brings God the most glory. Like, I think that actually compromises the amount of glory that he could be receiving for the amazing work of salvation and sanctification that he's doing within us. Because the irony is that sometimes within Christian culture, the more self-deprecating a Christian circle is, the greater likelihood there is that abuse will happen and not be addressed. And now you might think it's weird that I say that. Like, how can a church or a Christian community that is so in touch with how broken and sinful they are be more prone to abuse? Like, how, how can that create an environment where abuse is more likely to happen? And I think it's like this. Whenever abuse does happen, it can be noticed but then the person who did the abuse can get up and start tearing themselves apart and talking about how horrible they are. And then that looks like repentance. That looks like something that is healthy and good and virtuous within the Christian community because they value so much someone being honest about their sin and talking so terribly about themselves. So when you see someone doing that, you can say, oh, well, they, they get it. Like, obviously they're repentant. And so 
that's it. Like that's what God requires of us. That That is what a healthy and good Christian does. And then the abuse can kind of like be dismissed and people move on. And the abused is criticized for not forgiving the abuser who so clearly understands the depth of their sin. And it's like no real change takes place because that's what original sin can do. Original sin is a vague teaching about our general sinfulness. It doesn't have to get specific in order to be correct. And so whenever abuse does happen or whenever someone does something bad, like it doesn't just have to be abuse. Like it can just be heinous sin. Like whenever someone sins, it's like they don't really have to get too specific about it. All they have to do is acknowledge that they're a broken and sinful person. And so it can avoid real changes that need to take place because original sin doesn't have to get too specific to be biblical. And so while something specific needs to be addressed, the person who committed the sin can just talk about how horrible they are kind of in a broad sense. And this is like textbook abusive relationship, right? Like whenever someone is abusing a partner within a relationship, it is very normal for the abuser to start talking about how horrible they are. Like once they're confronted with that abuse, they can just say, oh man, like I'm so bad. Like, I don't know why you're in a relationship with me. I just like, I don't know how you can love me. Who could love someone like this? I, I just, I just can't believe I acted like that. And before you know it, the person who's been abused is now caring for their abuser who is just wallowing in self-deprecation and pity. And there's not that space there for real change to happen because the abuser is so busy caught up in these like vague general descriptions about how bad they are, but they refuse to acknowledge the specifics about it. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Okay, I just contradicted myself, right? Because at the beginning of the episode, I talked about how original sin, like kind of misapplied, can assume that everybody struggles with the same sin and it can get too specific. So my issue with it originally was it can get too specific and that can lead like little seventh graders to go look at porn because they feel like they have to be part of that category or something. But now I'm complaining that it doesn't get specific enough. So I think that you can actually misapply it in multiple ways because the doctrine of original sin does teach that in a vague sense, we are all sinful, but it does not say that we all struggle with the same sins. So it doesn't get specific in that sense. Like not everyone struggles with lust the same way. Not everyone struggles with narcissism or anger or like everybody has sins. They're more inclined to not everyone steals or lies, but we all sin. And that's the point of original sin. But once you understand original sin, it is very important to move past the vague and general descriptions that it gives and understand your specific sin. So not everyone struggles with the same specific sin, but everyone does have specific sins they struggle with. So I think that's the balance there that we need to understand with original sin so that we can apply it and understand it correctly. And I think when we do that, we cultivate a community that is less prone to abuse. And this is really relevant for deconstruction because a lot of people who are deconstructing struggle with the idea of original sin. Some people go on to say, well, it's just not true and it's just not biblical. So they, they kind of deconstruct that idea and say, we're all just good people. Like you are a good person and Christianity has done a bad thing to shame you and make you feel guilt. And so that's, that's one direction that people go because this doctrine has hurt them so badly. They conclude that it must not be true. Now that's not my argument in this episode. I'm arguing that the doctrine itself is true. We've just misunderstood it and misapplied it in a way that has done a lot of damage. 
But some people who are deconstructing come to the conclusion that it is not true. And some people, because of the guilt and the shame that they feel from this or the abuse that they've suffered because of this doctrine, leave the faith entirely. And so this is a really relevant to have for deconstruction. And I believe that deconstruction topics are very relevant for the American church because it is stepping outside of the culture of Christianity and taking a critical look at the things that definitely do need to change. And as you notice, I'm going back to scripture. Like I'm trying to do this in such a way that maintains the authority of scripture without undermining it but still calling on the church to change because I believe that until the church changes in the ways that it needs to change until it stops hiding behind vague generalizations about its own sinfulness and its own brokenness and how terrible and horrible it is. And you know how broken it is because that's what, that's what everyone says to me. Whenever I tell them I'm deconstructing and whenever I tell them I have like certain issues with the church, most people will say, well, you know, it's full of broken people, right? You know, the church is broken. There's a big difference between church and God. And like, That is a distinction that I think everyone deconstructing very much understands, but that is not an excuse for the hurt that the church has done. Like the church can't just say, well, you know, we're broken and then not address anything and not change things. Like that's one of my big focuses in this podcast is things that need to change, like legitimate biblical problems with the church in America. And I think until the church is ready to get specific and acknowledge the things that, yes, we need to change this. We need to work on this. We can't just say, well, we're broken. So, you know, what do you do? Like, no, these things actually do need to be intentionally worked on and changed because until the church does that, I believe that it will be left in this perpetual state of lukewarm complacency. Thank you so much for listening. I have one homework assignment for you. Name one good thing about yourself, like one specific area you think you've been gifted or you have like a certain talent. And if you're not able to do that, like if you can't think of anything, ask someone close to you, just ask them, how do you think I've been gifted? Like, what do you see in me? How do you see God working in me, gifting me and equipping me to further his kingdom? And I hope you find that exercise to be encouraging and affirming. And I hope it's something that uh, spurs you on to go and advance his kingdom. If you'd like to learn more about the work that we do in Liberia, feel free to visit standingsideby.org. If you'd like to make a donation, there's a donate tab on that page, or you can just Venmo at standing side by side. I am currently in my parents' basement, and for the time being, I'm in America. I've met several people through this podcast. Like Because I've been making these, they listen to it, and then they reach out and want to meet. So now that I'm in America, if you'd like to meet or talk, just let me know. Thank you so much for listening. Keep the faith.